Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 21 in our Bibles, and uh, this is sermon number 83 uh, through the book of Matthew. And uh, we're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. And if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is When Prostitutes and Tax Collectors Believe. Now, this sermon is not about prostitutes and tax collectors, but it is, it is capturing because it's in our text, and it's very interesting to see the Lord uh, take steps in that direction. I will be working uh, as much as possible to, to preach over the cars and over the planes and over the sirens. And so if you will, gird up your minds and uh, focus with me as best you can. Every time you feel your mind wandering off and you're like, oh, I'm thinking about something else again, you just try to pull it back in place and we will have a fantastic time today, okay? Heard of a story, maybe you heard of this one too. Late one night, a thief broke into a house and while he was sneaking around the house in the pitch black darkness, he heard a voice say, Jesus is watching you. He looked around and he saw nothing. He kept on creeping around and again he heard, Jesus is watching you. In the dark, there in the corner, he took his flashlight and he shined it up and he saw all of a sudden there was a cage there with a parrot inside. And he starts laughing to himself. The, the thief asked the parrot, was it you who said Jesus is watching me? The parrot said, yes. Relieved, the thief asked, well, what's your name? And the parrot said, Clarence. And the burglar said, that's a stupid name for a parrot. What idiot named you a, named a parrot Clarence? And the parrot answered, the same idiot that named this Rottweiler Jesus. Now sick him, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. I'm not sure why, but as churches start off as a home really for sinners and broken people, um, sometimes they grow into becoming a very polished and clean place with rules, traditions, and sometimes a holier-than-thou feel as if uh, anybody can't walk through those doors. This is not a place that anyone can come through and sit in the pews. And uh, because as we mature in Christ, we oftentimes clean up, per se, and oftentimes we forget where we came from, as if we are now too clean to hang with the prostitute or the thief or the murderer. Or maybe in this day and age, we can choose our enemy, um, maybe the opposite political party or the person on Skid Row, the homeless guy nobody wants to talk to, um, or the person who, who has no status. We may have no time for them. It's, it's, it's weird to watch a city work, but when we, re when we remember back to where we all came from, we remember back who we are. We actually know who we are inside. We know. No one else may fully know who we are, but we know. Maybe only a couple people know who you really are, but we know. And we are so thankful that the Lord opened the door for us now, didn't we? Jesus was for the nobodies. He was for the sinners. He was the people's champion. He was for you, he was for me, and we know who we are. We remember where we came from when he showed up in our lives, praise God. And he will be challenged again today by the religious leaders, and of course, he will put them in their place and ultimately put our hearts back in the right place. 
We are in Matthew chapter 21 in our Bibles. We're going to start in verse 23. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Yes, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 23. Are you there? It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from, what source was it from, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why do you not believe in him? But if we say from men, we fear the crowd, for they are, all regard John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither then will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this conversation that we get to see the Lord Jesus have with these religious leaders. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and hearts to see your truth, that it would minister to us, that it would bless us, that it would bring us closer to you. And as we come closer to you, our hearts would grow to love one another more. We would love you, that we would love the people around us more for your glory, that we would bring truth into the world more, and that it would change the lives of those around us and deepen our relationship with you. We love you, King. We we lift this time into your hands. We pray you bless us as we study your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're in the middle of Passion Week in our story. The road into Jerusalem on a donkey. Do you remember as Jesus proclaimed himself as King and Messiah? That happened on that Sunday. And as his first act of King and Messiah, do you remember what he does? He walks into the temple and he clears the joint. He blows the place up. He clears the place of the den of thieves, the money changers, and he condemns the temple. And he then the, the next day sees a fig tree with no fruit on it, remember? And he curses it and it withers and dies. And it was a picture of fruitless Israel, this people who were supposed to know God. And outwardly they would kind of give a form that they knew God, but inwardly they were, they were dead. There was nothing there. And Christ gives this declaration through the fig tree. It was a, free, a tree living with no fruit on it. It didn't produce anything. He shows and exposes really the religious leaders and the empty shell of religion. Before us in the story today, we see the religious leaders challenge the Lord once again, trying to discredit his work and his messiahship. Verse 23 says that while he was teaching, in this cleansed temple, remember, he just cleansed the place. There were these religious leaders that used to hang out there taking money from people. The chief priests and the elders, they approach Jesus and they say this to him, hey you, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? They're probably still ticked off and feel the sting of what happened when Jesus cleared out the temple a couple days ago. So they challenge him saying, what gives you the right to act like this? What gives you the authority to do these things? Who do you think you are? You can't come in here and take over our temple. 
And this is an old play which the world always uses to try to stop anyone from doing the works of God. It's very important. Instead of seeing all that Jesus has done, his miracles, his healings, his teachings, they ask him, where did you get the authority to do this? So they don't just stand back and say, wow, you're healing the sick. You're helping the broken. You're, you're doing these amazing miracles. You clearly are the Messiah. Instead, they challenge the foundation of his authority. They discredit all of the things that he's done. And you know, you Bible students know, they even said that he came from the devil. Said, your works are of the devil. And he said, really? My works are of the devil. Helping people, really. J.C. Ryle put it this way, his success was nothing to them. They demanded his commission. His cures are nothing. They want his diploma. Let us neither be surprised or moved when we hear such things. It's amazing how people can disregard the miracle right in front of their eyes with other questions to get away from God. Literally, the miracle right in front of their eyes. I was actually reminded of that last night when I was there on the field there in Angel Stadium just looking around at all these people coming close to God. The people in tears in front of me, the people in tears to the left of me. And I was thinking to myself, this is incredible. Once again, these people having a moment with the Almighty. Who knows where they're at? Who knows how close they are to God? Who knows how far from God they are? Nevertheless, they are having an awesome moment with God, and they're being drawn close to Him. And then watch this. We get to give them a Bible and pray for them. I thought to myself, this ain't happening on the streets of L.A. We get to have a conversation, pray for them, and give them a Bible. This is powerful. But oftentimes we just want to discredit those things and act as if, well, 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 is it really working? Are these things really happening? Is this actually going to change someone's life? You see, it's a distraction. It's a trap. Yes, we see you've done all these miracles, but who gave you the authority to do this? Isn't it obvious, boys? How are you missing the obvious? It's because they are blind and they don't want to see and they don't want to believe. Even though Jesus was doing all this in front of their eyes. Isaiah 42, 4, uh, 20 says, You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. And really, this happens often. Their goal is not to understand. Their goal is simply to challenge. But the Lord can see through it all, and so he challenges them back. They have just come in contact with the greatest of wisdom, the greatest lawyer anyone has ever met on the planet. Watch this rebuttal. It's absolutely fantastic. Verse 24, and Jesus said to them, because they said, what authority do you do this? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered them and said, I will also ask you one thing, which is if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he poses a question. The baptism of John. What was the source? From heaven or from men? He poses a question. He answers a question with a question. This is truly amazing. You would think that this alone would convict them and change their mind, but of course they are stubborn and blind spiritually. The answer to the question that the Lord posed to them is the very answer to the question they asked him. So very clever. It is as if they are talking to the wisest person on the earth, and in fact, they are. Again, they ask him a question. He asks, he returns with a question, and the answer to that question is their answer to the question they asked him. 
For the very answer to where John the Baptist gets his authority to call people to repentance, to ultimately point to Jesus as Messiah, all of course came from God. Thus Jesus' authority came from God. He said, well, where did John get his authority? And if they answer from heaven, they're in big trouble because John pointed to Jesus and said, oh, he's got all the authority. He's the one from heaven. The Lord knew that they would dare not say John the Baptist didn't come from God, so he trapped them in their own game, and I love this. This is very clever and wise. We are to be wise as serpents, soft as doves. Wise as serpents, soft as doves. The skin of a rhino, the heart of a child. Hard as granite, but soft as a kid. I want to encourage you with the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, church, people of God, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for which the hope you have within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Did you hear that? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. I hope, church, that we would be ready to give an answer to the city anytime someone asks. We as believers should always be ready to give a response to the questions that are posed to us. If there are things you don't know about your faith, do some digging and find the answers. Nothing worse than not knowing why we believe what we believe. Well, I believe this. Well, why? I believe this. Well, why? You see, I had, I had to come to this crossroads uh, in, my, in my early stages of faith too because I saw that my dad believed and I knew that I believed. But then I would be challenged by the world and these ideas and ways. And I said, I, I cannot blindly believe these things. I need to know why this is true. I need to know why Christianity, amongst all other religions on the planet, is good and true. I must know why. And one of the best things that could ever happen to us is to be challenged by a critic. Jesus was challenged all the time by his critics, and he shut them down with wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures. And that's one of the best things that could ever happen to us, to be challenged by a non-believer as to why we believe what we believe. I love when young people are being challenged, especially when they step into college. They get challenged. It's awesome because it gives the opportunity to lay a good foundation. It drives a person to understand Christianity in its fullness. And I want to ask you today, Somebody on the street walks up to you and says, why is Christianity true? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I don't believe there's a God. I'm an atheist. What are you going to do? Oh, that, that's cool, man. See ya. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, my man. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's sit down and talk. I want to sit down and hear why you believe what you believe. We had a guy, me and Aaron were having coffee, uh, this is probably like a month ago, I mean, uh, maybe two months ago, I don't know. We were at a coffee shop sitting down, and me and Aaron were just talking out loud, just doing what we do, just, you know, talking about the things of the Lord, talking about the things of the city, and, and just truth, and all kinds of things, and this, this guy is sitting right here, and he's, he's listening in on our conversation, 
And he chooses to, to speak up and say, well, well I, don't, I don't think so. I did this, 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 this. I'm like, huh? how's it going? I'm Josh. What's your name? And we start chatting it up with him. And no joke, he didn't want to stop talking. We, we talked for 20, 25 minutes, and me and Aaron systematically start to persuade and turn his mind sitting right there on the spot. And I was reminded at the end of it, he, he, he was like, man, thank you guys. Thanks for taking the time to talk. I really appreciate it. I said, you know, a lot of people don't talk in this city. It's really sad. We stop talking. We stop having conversations. And, and that, that, do you know that we can disagree on somebody and still be friends? Do you know that? Get married. <laughs> I dare you. Go ask my wife. We disagree on hundreds of things. And I still love her and I'm mad about her, romantic for her. We have to get back to conversations and oftentimes we are scared to start the conversation with people because we're scared to be challenged about our faith. But you have to know this first, you have to know that you have the truth and the truth will stand against anything. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth, John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He literally said it of himself. If you have him, you may not have the answer for them today, but you can always say this. It's okay. You can always say, you know what? I don't know. But let me get back to you on that. I'm going to do some digging, and I'd, I'd love to answer that question. And I was reminded once again at Harvest Crusade yesterday how many hours, hundreds of hours we spent on the streets as young people walking around sharing Christ with strangers. I mean, through my basically 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, probably all the way 23, 24, 25 into the college years, we were literally talking to hundreds, if not thousands of people on the streets and in the colleges. We literally just walk up to strangers and just ask them, hey, you ever go to church? Hey, do you believe in God? Hey, what do you think about Christianity? We would start these conversations everywhere just to get people thinking. And we would have these conversations in the middle of the college. We used to do these things called the forum. We'd set up two microphones in the middle of these universities. And I have a panel of guys, five, six guys, specialists like in each department. You got a history guy, you got a science guy, you got a philosophy guy, you got a Bible guy. You got. And I would moderate and people would walk up and they'd be like, hey man, what's your name? John, let's give John a hand. Come on everybody, yeah, you know, we clap for him. He got all fired up. And then he'd drop his question on the panel and then we would just dialogue with him in front of hundreds of people in the college. And they would get to see live dialogue take place and real reason. We're, we're not, we're not, the answer is not faith every single time. So why do you believe that faith? No, no, that's not helpful. We're, we're actually gonna have an intellectual debate and we're gonna sit down and talk about these things. And uh, if I see him start to get mad, he'd be like, hey man, we love you. You don't get mad, it's all good. You know, we're having a good time out here. Come on, everybody, let's give John a hand again. Come on, yeah. He's like, okay, we're good, we're good, yeah. And he stepped back in a second time and we would, professors would walk up, we would dialogue with them. If we truly have the truth, it can really set people free and it will really shine through all of the darkness on the earth. The problem is Christians won't turn on the lights. We keep our mouth shut. We don't speak. We don't intervene. Do you know you can intervene with respect and gentleness, Peter says. 
And I am telling you, there are probably people around you hoping and wishing that you would do that. Because it's amazing when you step up to the plate and do it, all of a sudden people walk up and you, man, I really appreciated what you said. Thank you. For, I actually believe that inside, but I, I'm too nervous to say something like that. We never need to be a jerk. Never need to be mean. We need to do it in gentleness and kindness. I want to give you a couple helpful books on apologetics, defending the faith. If you'd like to write this down, you can, or you can come back, listen to the message. You'll find it later. Some helpful books on defending the faith from two different angles, you Bible nerds. Um, you have an evidential apologetic, which is, um, you know, evidence on the surface, up front, um, why we believe what we believe. So um, people want evidence. And so this is an evidential apologetics. And then you have a presuppositional apologetics. A presuppositional apologetics is giving no evidence, but starting with the foundation that God has always existed. Why would we believe anything else? Literally, why, give me a good reason why I should believe anything else. He's always been, the Bible's declared that he's always been, and everything in creation declares that he's always been, so why would I ever start from the other opposite side having to defend that he doesn't exist? There's two different angles from this. They're both very helpful. Helpful books on apologetics, defending our faith. Norm Geisler and Frank Turek uh, wrote this book called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Fantastic book. It's evidential apologetics. Some presuppositional apologetics for you Bible nerds, if you want to go deep, is by um, Greg Bonson. Uh, he's three books here, Always Ready, um, Stated and Defended, and Pushing the Antithesis. These three books are fantastic. Just look up his name, uh, Greg Bonson. It's uh, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. Anyways, I like to give helpful resources in case you want to dive into it for yourself. But these things can help prepare us. If you have questions about the faith, um, let's talk about it. If you have questions, um, ask others. Talk with brothers and sisters. It's very important to... Uh, get a foundation for why you believe what you believe from the existence of God. Is there a God? How do we know? Um, to um, why, why is the Bible true? To uh, how do we know Jesus rose from the dead? To uh, why, why is Christianity the truth on the earth? What, what about all the other religions? These are all fantastic questions. Uh, why does the God of love send people to hell? Why is there even a hell? All of these fantastic questions and uh, we need to have conversations about them. And really, this is, this is how we win people to the faith. It's part of the process. Reason. Come let us reason together. Jesus, anybody who approached him, he's like, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's reason it through. And it says here in verse 25, they began reasoning amongst themselves, saying, if we say that John is from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the crowd, for they all regard John as a prophet. If they say John's ba the ba John the Baptist's authority came from heaven, then Jesus will challenge them, saying, then why didn't you believe in all he said and did? The main being that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But if they say John the B is from men, the people will turn on them and they will lose their authority as religious leaders. So the Lord has trapped him. And uh, I want to encourage you, family, to be praying for wisdom like this in your life. We talked about wisdom. Um, 
in one, in one of our last sermons, we talked about the wisdom of Solomon, but I want to encourage you again to pray that God would give you wisdom for all of these situations, that the Lord would grant us a portion of his wisdom every day. You need the Lord, Lord's wisdom in all areas of life. And so I encourage you, ask him to help you. Today in your life, ask him, Lord, help me to fill in the blank. Lord, Lord give me wisdom in fill in the blank. What is it in your work, in your purpose and direction in life, in that relationship, in your marriage, in that financial decision, in your family? Wisdom with your kids, wisdom with your grandkids, wisdom for today. Lord, I need wisdom in this. I can't figure it out. I need you. Newsflash. What if God shows up? What if he grants you the wisdom, the supernatural wisdom from heaven for that situation, and you step back, like, I can't believe it. God showed up. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and to the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. If you have wisdom, you have it all. You have all that you need for every situation of life. And ultimately, isn't that what we are lacking? I need wisdom, God, for this Open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart to receive your wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of the pursuit of knowledge, step one, is to fear the Lord with all your heart. You miss this step, you become a fool in all of your knowledge, in all your wisdom, you, you miss the whole thing. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. These religious leaders were face to face with the creator of wisdom and they missed it. So many times people come face to face with the Lord and they turn away. And listen church, if that's you today, be careful because it may be a, a long time before you come face to face with him again. If he is speaking to you, be sure to respond. Please turn to him with all your heart. If you can hear the voice of the Lord, turn to him. Do not turn away because you don't know when you will come face to face with them again. I long for those moments. Man, I used to sit with my journal and wait for those moments. Like, God, speak to me. Show me what to do. It's amazing because the, the traffic and the sounds and the busyness of this city, they cloud our ears, man. They cloud my eyes. It's like I can't hear them sometimes. And so, man, when he speaks or when he shows me something, he reveals something to me, I grab onto that. I'm constantly asking every day, Lord, please, please help me. Give me wisdom. Give me what I need. Show me the way. Show me the path. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just trying to do the best I can to honor the Lord. These religious leaders trapped in their own question, they can't say John is from heaven because then they have to say Jesus is from heaven and him condemning them and their temple was right, and they can't say John is from men because they will lose favor with the people. So look what they do, verse 27. And they answered Jesus and said, here's their answer, we don't know. 
We, is John from heaven or is he from men? Um, we don't know. He trapped him. And so Jesus said to them, then neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. Touche. Right? Where did Jesus get his authority? It came from his father. We know this. John 5, 25, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given the Son, him authority, to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Matthew 28, 18, you guys know this verse. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus literally says, hey, disciples, Jesus has just died on the cross, risen from the dead, and he's having a talk with his boys, and he says, guys, all authority has been given to me on hev in heaven and on earth. It all belongs to me. Now listen, I want you guys to go and make disciples of all nations, get baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then start teaching them Teach them to observe what I told you. All the three years of the things I taught you, start teaching them these things. Then he says this, because they're thinking like, we can't do this. We can't, we can't go into the nations and start baptizing and turn them into disciples. How are we going to do that? Then Jesus closes with this statement. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Because they're thinking we can't do this. And he's like, no, no, no. I got all authority on heaven and on earth. And I'm going to be with you to accomplish this work. Jesus has all the authority in the universe. And he has given us the decree, the, de the command, the power, and the authority to go and make disciples of all nations. The king has given a decree. And it is going to happen. Go make disciples. But you're like, but I don't know if I can. He has made the way already. All you got to do is go. And it will happen. When I reflect on legacy and starting this church, that's simply what we did. Just go and make disciples. We are following the instructions of the Lord. He is not going to tell us to do something that isn't possible. He, he has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And he's like, go make disciples and it will happen. And that's the one thing, man. When I reflect back on me and think about me 20 years old. Use your imagination. Hair. Beautiful, beautiful hair, locks, <laughs> and, uh, and, and me trying to talk with people on the street, this foolish kid, dude, trying to connect with people. I didn't know anything. I'm just swinging for the fences. I don't know if I'm going to hit anything. I was just going for it. And I, I find it odd sometimes that as I've grown older, there's a, there's a fear too much in thinking about what other people think, so I'm nervous to encroach on their space, and I, I don't want to disrupt them in the city. But the young, young Josh is like, hey, man, how's it going? Do you go to church? You know, just looking like, whoa, who are you? Nice hair. If you want to find me in heaven, just look for the guy with an afro out to here, okay? That's me. Okay, that's me.
come on. I, I like to think that I'm already in the glorified state, okay? Like right now, like when you get to heaven, you're all going to be bald, see? <laughs> the jokes, people, come on. But when I reflect on legacy again, all we did is simply go. I didn't know if anybody would actually want to study God's word. I didn't know if anybody would want to worship God in Studio City of all places. I literally think about if I, when I was back home thinking about coming here and thinking like, oh, maybe I'll do church outside in Studio City somewhere. I'm like, dude, they'll, 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 they'll remove you. Like, you can't do that. But it's amazing that when you just take steps of faith and go, like he already decreed. He already said. He's like, literally, like, I've given you the land. All you got to do is just go show up and just go for it. And you will make disciples and you will baptize and people will come close to him and he will be glorified if the king has said the land belongs to you guess what it does it's already there all you got to do is go build a house in it remember jesus was teaching a crowd the first verse of our text said and his disciples are in the temple listening to him, and that's when the religious leaders came up on them. But at this point, the religious leaders are hanging their heads low, and they're walking out of the temple. They're ticked. And Jesus then says, as they're walking out, he says, let me tell you a story. And he says, I'm going to tell you a story, a parable about those religious leaders. Listen, here it is. Verse 28. But what do you think, he says to his crowd, the disciples, and he says, listen to this story. A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted what he said, and he went and worked. And the man came to the second son, and he said the same thing. Son, go work in my vineyard. And the son said, sure, I will. But he did not go. He lied. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And the crowd said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you seeing this did not even regret afterward so as to believe him. Jesus basically says this story. He says, I got, there's, a, there's a, a father with two sons, and he says, go work for me. And the first son says, no, I'm not going to work for you. But later he regrets it and says, you know, I'm going to go work for my dad. I want to go work for the kingdom. But the second son, he's, the, the guy up front, he, his son, he says, hey, go work for me. And he says, hey, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do a good job for you, God. I'm, I'm going to work for you. But then secretly he never does a single thing. And Jesus concludes and he says this, he says, the tax collector and the prostitutes who are upfront and honest first and say, I don't want God. They are more honest. They are more honest than the Pharisee or the religious person who fakes on the front and says, yeah, God, I'm going to do your work. But behind the scenes, they're lying. Jesus says that person, that sinner, that prostitute, that person is more honest because they said no to God first, but they said yes to him later, but they told the truth the whole time. Jesus says those guys that just walked out with their heads low, they were the ones who said, I will work for you, Lord, with their mouth, but secretly they're fakes. They do nothing. 
but the first is the one who is honest. And that's why Jesus says tax collectors and prostitutes will make it in before those guys do. Isn't that wild? The Lord sees not as a man sees. He is not impressed by the outward. He looks at the heart. Did you know that? Luke 5.30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples saying, why do you eat with and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? You're going to get sinner cooties all over you. What are you doing? And Jesus answered them and said this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem is not the one who thinks... The problem, I should say, is the one who thinks he is not sick, but thinks everyone else is. He can see the sin in his own heart, but he denies it. The church is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. And anyone who thinks they are too holy for another person who is sick spiritually is far more sick than they know. They are the sick one. We need to remember that we all are in need of the Lord. And Jesus was the people's champion. He came for the lost, he came for the broken. Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, the psalmist says, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Luke 18, 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. The one hated in the community, he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, God, hears that prayer. This is the heart of the Lord. He's always challenging the religious. He's always challenging the holier than now. And he's always going back to the sinner, back to the broken, back to the poor and lowly and loving on them. And church, we've got to do the same. Doesn't matter where a person's been, doesn't matter where they've been, what they've been through, doesn't matter what they've done. Christ opens his arms to them. And if he has opened his arm to them, how can we not open our arms? And I should add, he has opened his arms to us who are the ones. You didn't think you were the poor man, the poor woman, but you are. Me too. And he has welcomed us into his kingdom. Come sit at my table. Hey, why would you do this for me? Because I love you. I'm for you. I want to bless you. I want to give you favor. I want to close with this, this picture that C.S. Lewis gives from his book, Mere Christianity. It's powerful. Listen to this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there, running up the towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. 
he is building a palace with your life because he plans on coming to live within it. Absolutely beautiful and powerful. And I want you to know that God is for you today. If he's speaking to you today, please open your ears, open your eyes, open your hearts, and come close to him in relationship. Amen? I want nothing more than the city of L.A. to, and Studio City to receive the gospel and to taste of the love of God. I mean, what are we doing? We're here to spread the love of Christ in this city, to love and serve people, to minister his truth as far as we can. And so I challenge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to take steps of faith in those conversations. Watch how deep it gets. Watch what happens. You can always be gentle and you can always be respectful and you can have some powerful conversations and they're life-changing conversations because no one wants to talk about real stuff going on. We got all this stuff going, we're so busy, but no one ever wants to ask, are you, are you okay? Are you doing okay? Can I pray for you? Yeah, I'm here if you need anything, okay? You let me know, I'll pray. We, we need to get into that zone with our friends, our family members, our coworkers. It's funny because I make fun of you from a distance. That, that Christian over there, this and that. But then when tragedy falls or something goes down, hey, hey man, my mom's got cancer, would you pray for her? You got it? Don't worry. We're here for you. Just know that God has started a work in you and he will finish it. Amen? Let's all stand up. Let's pray. Let's turn to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today and I pray, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in us. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see like you see. That we would see the brokenness in our city and that we would want to love and serve people for your glory. God, let our light shine before men and women that they'd see our good works and glorify you. We pray that you would awaken a new spirit once again within us. That we would be charged. That our cup would be so full. That we would want to have conversations. That we would want to challenge all that is going on. That we would want to have truth talks where we can minister and help and build and create for your glory with those in the city. Please give us wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom in all of our life. We come asking that you do that work in us today, Lord. Fill our hearts and our minds with your wisdom. Give us clarity. Give us direction. We love you, Lord. We lift our lives into your hands. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.